0: Hello, I'm Jan Fran and you are listening to The Briefing. It is the latest news, headlines to your headphones this Tuesday,
1: December 1st. Happy 1st of December to you, Annika Smethurst. We made it, Jan. And today on The Briefing, we take a deep dive on the delivery drivers dying for your dinner.
2: Really, it's that low wage, which is, you know, pushing riders to go harder and faster to make the same amount of money that they used to make.
0: Five riders have died in the past two months alone. We're going to take a look at some of the conditions they're working under and what can be done to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Before that, though, let's go to the big stories of the day.
1: China is doubling down after posting a doctored photo of an Australian soldier threatening an Afghan child from an official government account.
0: Yes, that's a sentence I didn't think I would be hearing today, but there it is. Uh, It does need a bit of background, this story. So yesterday, a spokesman for China's foreign ministry, Li Jianzhao, tweeted a fake image of an Australian soldier holding a knife to the throat of an Afghan child who's holding a lamb. Now, the child's face is covered by the Australian flag, and there are words on this image which read, don't be afraid, we're coming to bring you peace.
1: Zhao's caption read, shocked by murder of Afghan civilians and soldiers, we strongly condemn such acts and call for holding them accountable.
0: Yeah, now this image is very clearly doctored, uh, but the tweet refers to the Berriton report, which found credible evidence to support allegations that 39 Afghan civilians were killed by Australian special forces during our time in Afghanistan.
1: And a short time after that tweet was posted, Scott Morrison held a press conference.
0: The Chinese government should be totally ashamed of this post. It diminishes them in the world's eyes. It is a false image and a, a terrible slur on our great defence forces and the men and women who've served in that uniform for over 100 years. Yeah, you can hear the anger in Scott Morrison's voice. And if you watch that press conference, you could see it in his face as well. Uh, He certainly wasn't mincing words in that one. He also demanded an apology from the Chinese government and asked both the Chinese government and Twitter to remove the photo. Now, the Trade Minister, Simon Birmingham, suggested that this tweet might deter Australians from buying Chinese products.
2: Consumers no doubt will be mindful of the types of actions we've seen today in terms of those terrible, appalling, shocking images. And that, I'm sure, will reverberate in their minds as they make those purchasing decisions.
1: Despite the outrage, Zhao stood his ground. Not only is the photo still there, it's pinned to the top of his account. So it's actually the first thing you see when you go there.
0: Yeah, and overnight, the Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Hua Xunying gave a press conference telling the Australian government to do some soul-searching.
3: The Australian side is reacting so strongly to my colleague's Twitter. Does that mean that um, they think the cold blood murder of Afghan innocent civilians is justified, while other people's condemnation of such crimes are not justified? Yes,
0: yeah, certainly an escalation in what is already a deteriorating relationship here between China and Australia. Uh, last week, China gave a list of 14 grievances to the Australian media, grievances that it had with the Australian government, which was a very unusual thing for a government to do. And this is after a year of of China putting tariffs and taxes on Australian products as well. So
1: not a positive development. Qantas will outsource ground crew, baggage handlers and cleaners at all major Aussie airports, A further 2,000 jobs.
0: We know this will be extremely difficult news for our ground handling teams and their families. This is not the outcome they wanted and one that will be
2: difficult to take.
0: Absolutely, that was Qantas domestic and international CEO Andrew David there. One of the workers who's now out of a job is Leonie Piggott. Well, I I don't know what Christmas means. I don't know, you know, if I'm still technically employed at Christmas or whether they're, you know, what date they're going to give us.
1: The Transport Workers Union was trying to negotiate with the airline to keep the staff, but in the end, the company says it just wasn't viable. Qantas says it's expecting to lose $10 billion this financial year due to the COVID pandemic. Union Secretary Michael Kane says this is a hard blow so close to Christmas.
3: This decision needs to be reversed. These are Qantas families. This is not the way that the Australian community expects our flagship companies to behave.
0: It brings the number of jobs slashed by Qantas since the start of the pandemic to 8,500. That is a third of its pre-COVID workforce.
1: Victoria's Premier Daniel Andrews says the state has learned its lessons And won't use private security guards when it opens its revamped hotel quarantine next week.
2: There will be no private security whatsoever. There will be no secondary employment. There will be testing of staff every single day. Their family members will be offered a test every week. We will advance contact trace all of those staff so we know who they live with and what those people do for a living.
0: That was the Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews there. About 200 defence personnel will assist with the program With staff to be tested every day, Police Minister Lisa Neville says that the revamp program will now be the safest in the country. This is undoubtedly a much stronger, more robust
1: hotel quarantine program than we had, than in my view we have anywhere else in the country. Melbourne stopped receiving international arrivals back in July and it's hoped that these new flights that kick off next week will boost the national cap, which currently sits at about 6,000 arrivals a week.
0: Yeah, and they really do need to get this hotel quarantine right, don't they, Annika?
1: Yeah, it was really what kicked off this second wave, that and a little bit of a lag in contact tracing. So hopefully this not only helps get more people back into Australia, but that it doesn't crumble and allow COVID back into the community. (music) And almost a year on from the
0: New Zealand White Island volcano tragedy that killed 22 people, including 17
1: Australians, authorities have now laid charges. WorkSafe, New Zealand's main workplace health and safety regulator, says 13 parties are facing charges, including three individuals who can't be named for legal reasons. Here's Chief Executive Phil Parks.
2: It's my hope but those connected with this terrible tragedy will take some comfort from knowing that those who we consider did not meet their obligations will have to account for their actions or inactions in court.
0: Yeah, no doubt some families will be seeking justice here, but the response from families and those who lost loved ones has been mixed.
1: He'd be hugely disappointed in the fact that, that potentially some of his friends have, have been charged Um they all did the the best of their ability and ran a professional outfit for Cardi.
0: Yeah, that was Mark there, whose brother was a tour operator. Mark told the ABC that he wouldn't want to see anyone punished.
1: The volcano erupted while 47 people were on that island, including several tour groups and their tour guides.
0: All right, let's talk about delivery drivers and the horrible conditions they have to work under to get you your dinner. What is a regular Tuesday night for you? Maybe you're home with your family or housemates or partner. Maybe you decide that you want to stay in, you want to order some food and just watch some TV.
1: Uh, That's something I'm guilty of, Jan. But next time you pull out the food delivery app, Uber Eats, Deliveroo, whatever you might use, maybe spare a thought for those delivering your dinner because that might be a few taps on your phone But for someone else, it's something far more dangerous. Yeah.
0: So on today's briefing, we're going to take a look at the working conditions and the dangers that delivery drivers face and what needs to change to ensure that they are safe at work, because right now, they're not. On average, one food delivery driver dies in Australia every fortnight. Five delivery riders have died nationally in the past nine weeks, four of them in Sydney And many more are being injured on our roads as well.
1: The latest death, which happened just last week, involved a 37-year-old Uber Eats cyclist from Malaysia who died after being hit by a truck in Sydney's inner city.
3: Our hearts always are profusely bleeding. That is beyond tolerance. It is so shocking for the family and as a family friend.
0: Yeah, you can hear how affected family members are. That was... Paramesh Bhattacharya, who is a family friend of a 27 year old rider who died on the
1: job last month. The National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, Michael Kane, says companies have to do more.
3: These companies don't train riders, these companies don't provide appropriate and proper protective equipment. These companies put these riders under incredible time pressures.
0: Yeah, it's not just the time pressures that put delivery riders under stress, though. According to a survey by the same union, Delivery riders earn just over ten dollars an hour after costs. They're often on temporary visas, so they don't get job seeker or job keeper. And they're also riding scooters and bicycles along busy roads with no bike lanes, sometimes in the rain.
1: Ash is in his late thirties, and he's been delivering meals for Deliveroo and Uber Eats for the past four years.
0: So tell us a little bit about how it works. Do you apply? Uh, do you need to get any Training, how much does it pay you each week? Can you talk us through some of those details?
2: Training is minimal to non-existent, at least it was three or four years ago. The most I had was just having to actually show that I had a bicycle and and follow someone who rode around the local streets of the building that we were assigned to go to in the city. Um, But there was no check to actually see that you actually really knew the road rules or even that you were fit to ride a bicycle.
1: Ash, there's obviously been a, a recent spate of deaths and it's yeah. been tragic. This isn't the end of it, though. A lot of drivers who don't lose their life get injured on the roads and, and you were injured recently. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened?
2: Yeah, I was, um, I was doing a shift uh, in, in early winter or midwinter and, uh, last year and as always, you're in a very big rush because you're not quite sure whether the algorithm, i.e. the thing that decides whether you get orders or not, uh, is factoring in the speed with which you do existing orders. So just you know, from an economic in- incentive, you're pushing things as it is. Um, also, the, the rate of pay has been going down in this industry consistently for the last few years. You always found yourself working from a base of, oh, I had to work this hard to earn this much, but now I must work harder and faster to get the same amount, basically. And yes, I was rushing around, and um, I came across a car that was turning across me at the intersection, and it seems that he too might have been in a rush because, um, as it turns out, he was delivering food as well. And anyway, long story short, I went over the handlebars onto his bonnet and got a, a broken shoulder.
1: Gosh. And how common are injuries in your line of work?
2: Uh, surprisingly common. We uh, I'm part of a group that's trying to improve rider rights, the delivery rider's Alliance. And um, we did a survey of hundreds of workers who do this work. And um, apparently, I think it's something like 70 to 80% of them have all experienced an injury while doing the work.
0: So what do you think needs to happen here to ensure that incidents like the tragic ones we've heard about recently never happen again?
2: I think there needs to be a combination of two main areas. Um, First would be some kind of legislative change so that these companies can't just sort of Bully riders into going faster and making more deliveries. For example, it's increasingly common these days for riders to get warning emails saying that they were late to deliveries uh, with no sort of justifications when asked as to which particular delivery it was or any kind of rider reply. Uh, and if not, they just, you know, they can just get deactivated as the term instead of, I guess, fired would be the, the kind of real world equivalent. So we need legislative reform. Um, also to reduce the declining wages because really it's that low wage, which as I say is getting lower, which is you know pushing riders to go harder and faster to make the same amount of money that they used to make.
0: What about something like thinking about how we leave reviews or tipping more?
2: There are startup companies starting now in this area. I believe um, I actually met with one of them the other week. They're actually ethically based delivery companies, and I think it could catch on and become quite popular because a lot of the systems that these companies use, I actually assume they would cost millions of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands. And it turns out that, you know, a system's probably obviously not exactly the same as what the majors use, but similar can be bought for as little as $3,000 Australian. When you combine that with people who are ethically minded, you know, there is the opportunity, I think, business opportunities for companies who want to come in and actually offer an ethical service and thus appeal to at least, uh, you know, people who have heard about these deaths and still want their food delivered, but would like to do so by a company that actually offers some form of insurance to its riders, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, proper insurance and and reasonable working conditions, i.e. not being deactivated with no warning or little warning and no comeback. That
0: was delivery rider Ash there. Let's hear from a delivery writer advocate, UTS law professor Joellen Riley-Munton. She recently wrote an article in the Sydney Morning Herald calling delivery writers the
3: 21st century's chimney sweeps. Here's why. Look, I used to read a lot of Dickens novels and it always seemed to me that the chimney sweeps were uh, did the most dangerous work for little or no pay and they were largely ignored. They were sort of invisible to the um, bourgeois householders who use their services and it worries me I feel a sense of guilt as a consumer myself that I can sit in my comfortable house magically food can be delivered to my door during particularly during this pandemic invisible is the poor old worker out there in the rain getting poor pay and taking all these risks to get that to me
1: Professor Riley Munton says while drivers experience poor conditions and pay, the work is still vital for so many.
3: At the moment there are seem to be more cyclists around because the pandemic has taken away a lot of other unskilled work and so my view is we don't want to reduce their ability to earn a living but what we do need to do is to make sure that the conditions under which they do that are decent
1: We've also seen recent footage showing some pretty dangerous driving on behalf of delivery drivers. So, I guess I wanted to ask who is responsible for making sure they follow the rules and receive that proper training?
3: Well, look, this is not a new problem in the transport industry. There were many studies done leading up to the creation of a thing called the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal that identified a clear link between pay and conditions and safe driving on the road. It was really easy to just blame the truck drivers, but when you looked back at the conditions under which they were doing their work, you could see they were under pressure to speed and under pressure to work when they weren't rested. I think you would find you've got similar problems with the food delivery cyclists business. So the people who hire them and the people who benefit from their work share a responsibility in making sure the conditions of work are safe.
0: Yeah, and on that point of responsibility, some of that pressure does come from the consumers. You know, we we want to get our food on time and we want to get our food hot. So how much responsibility should consumers be taking here for some of these conditions? And should we boycott apps until something changes?
3: Well, I understand completely the argument about a boycott. The thing that worries me about a boycott is that it would immediately just punish the drivers and the delivery people themselves because they'd be competing for less work. One of the things you could do is don't post cranky ratings. These workers are governed by all customer ratings. Every time there's a customer who didn't like the fact their food came a bit slower, and goodness knows why that might have been. It could have been a traffic snail that had nothing to do with the driver. But then they will get put a a cranky rating on and that rating then, unfiltered, goes on the record of the cyclist and they can be blocked from the app. Just imagine if all of us got punished as employees every time someone we dealt with in the public was cranky and didn't like the way we did our job. Usually our employer takes a little bit more care of their staff. Mm. Not, they're not just listening to the employer. One of the problems that this app engagement sets up is that the employer is so distant and there's no filtering for a lot of that rat baggery that comes from from consumers sometimes.
1: Joellen, I, this issue's gaining a little bit of traction now, but I guess I wanted to compare it to back in... 2009 and 10, when four tradies died installing roof insulation material under a government scheme. Now, that triggered a Royal Commission. We've had more deaths here. Why hasn't the reaction been the same, especially in
3: the public? It's a terrible thing to say, but I think a lot of people uh, just ignore these particular kinds of workers. You know, the tradies, um, there may have been some political Uh, reasons for generating a royal commission there because um, some of that was to do with decisions that the government had made about pink bats, wasn't it?
2: Mm.
3: Here, trying to get traction for some appetite across the community and in government to do something about providing some basically safe working conditions for these workers has been very difficult.
0: That was Professor Joellen Riley-Munton there. And I think what's clear from talking to both of those people is that there definitely needs to be government regulations and company policies that change. But I think there also needs to be some change on the part of the consumer as well. You know, maybe the people who use these apps, i.e. myself, yourself to Annika, just kind of thinking about, okay, maybe we don't leave a bad review if food arrives five minutes late, or maybe we think about tipping or
1: warming it up in the microwave. Or warming Jan, it up in the it's microwave a bit cold.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe there's a an onus of responsibility on us as well. All right, that is it for today's episode. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the new free speech social network, Parlor. Have you heard of it? What is it? Who's on it? And should you join? That is tomorrow's episode. We have to see you there.